You're listening to the sermon audio from Mill Creek Community Church. If you like what you've heard or want to find out more information, please visit our website at mymillcreek.com. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members of one another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them, if prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving. The one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, and the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for your word. We thank you that you have preserved it and that you have protected it. Father, we thank you that you have breathed it out and that you use it to teach, correct, rebuke, and train us in righteousness, Father. Would you accomplish, accomplish the purpose of your scripture in us? Would you teach our hearts to be obedient? Would you give us ears to hear what you have to teach us? Would you crush any walls of pride or of fear or of anxiety that may hold us back from hearing the truth this morning? And Father, would you speak directly to our hearts and transform us into the image of Jesus? And we pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Matt. So, my kids are getting to the age where they can make cookies and make them on their own. I didn't know that was a thing when we had kids, um, but I, I'm glad it's a thing because now they'll say, hey, Dad, we want to make some cookies. And I think, sounds like a great idea to me. I'm going to steal some of that cookie batter and we're all happy. And recently, one of my kids made the best batch of cookies I've ever had in my entire life. I didn't know that when they were doing it, but once they got made, I was amazed because these cookies, they are chocolate chip cookies, and the ratio of chocolate chips to dough, perfect. Some of y'all don't know how to get that ratio right, and that's a problem. You just made cookies, and you call them chocolate chip cookies, and it's false advertising. So they had the ratio right, lots of Milk chocolate chip cookies in there, not that semi-sweet garbage. No, this is the real deal, Holyfield, milk chocolate chip. And they were flat. Now, you might think, I didn't want any chocolate chip pancakes. No, these are, these are cookies. I just love them flat and crispy. And, and, like, I don't know how to do that because Lord knows I'm not a cook. Like, I burn cereal in the morning, and so that's real tricky for me to get it. Google tells me it's something about warm butter, whatever. These were flat the ratio of chocolate chip cookie, chocolate chips to, to cookie was fantastic. And, and, and then the best part was crispy on the outside, gooey on the middle. I mean, it was awesome. And, 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 and they made those, and they are the best cookie I've ever had. And, and if that hurts your feelings and you're thinking, well, you never tried my cookies, Pastor. We'll just bring them on up to the office. <laughs> Be happy to take them, test drive them for you. 
the staff and I would love to try all y'all's cookies. You can just do that whenever you like. Happy Pastor Month to you. But, but, but those are the cookies. And so I did what any good dad would do. I just started eating them like they were going out of style. When, when my kid looks at me and, they, and goes, they're not for you, Dad. They're for school. The dumbest thing I've ever. These are the best cookies I've ever had in my entire life, and I would know what a good cookie is. And you're expecting me not to eat any of them, so I did what any good dad would do. I kept distracting them and sending them out of the kitchen and eating as many of those cookies as I could without getting caught, which was not as many as I would have liked. Then it's for a school auction, so we have to take them, and they're going to have an auction. So I told my other kid, "You pay whatever they ask for those cookies." <laughs> Here's a hundred dollars. I don't care what it takes. These cookies are incredible. And um, anyway, so that happened, and, and, and I was pouting for a solid week after that whenever the cookie subject came up, and poor me, I try to be a good dad, I can't even eat your cookies, and, and, and so my kid said, I'm going to make you some cookies, dad, and I thought, hallelujah, there is a savior, make me those cookies, girl, and she, she made the cookies for me, and, and, and the cookies came out, and, and the, the, the chocolate chip to cookie ratio was way off, and, and they weren't flat, they were like a cake, it's like a cake cookie, and and they were definitely not crispy on the outside and gooey on the middle. And, you know, of course, I didn't have the heart to say any of that just straight up. So I just, hmm. <laughs> but in my heart, <laughs> I, thought, I thought she had cracked the code. And, and something had changed. And I don't know what had changed. And, and I, don't, I don't understand how these things work. But the recipe was different the second time around. The second batch was different then the first batch. Now, I realize this might be a stretch, but I actually think in some ways the church can be like a cookie. This is what I mean. There are churches, the way that the Bible describes, that are supposed to have a really good ratio and, and should be delightful, so delightful that whether you're a Christian or whether you're a non-Christian, you'd go to that church and you'd go, oh my word, this is incredible. I want more. Like today, I have yet to meet a person who doesn't like a cookie. And so my thought is whether you're three or a hundred and three, you should be the kind of person who just like when you go into the pantry and, and if there's some fresh cookies, you'd say, yes, please. So it should be that whether you're three or a hundred and three, that if you're the kind of church that the Bible describes, you would say, yeah, give me more of that. And what the problem is, I think many of us have probably been to a church where it's like, Y'all got that recipe way off. Like, I don't, bless your heart, when, when it said sugar, you put in salt, and that's why y'all nasty. I mean, you've been in the oven too long. What's wrong with you crispy Christians? It's the yuck. And if you've ever had somebody give you one of those cookies and like, look at you, do you like it? And you're thinking, I want to spit this in the trash can right now. I'm just not doing it because I want to be a nice person. You, you've been to those kind of churches and, 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 and God knows I don't want us to be that kind of church. My guess is you, if you're a part of Mill Creek, you don't want to be the kind of church either that's got the recipe way off. It's like false advertising. You're saying you're something, but once you bite into it, it's not true. And so this morning, I, I bring up all of this idea about cookies and ingredients because in our text we're going to find Paul giving four crucial ingredients to a church. The, the, the four essential ingredients you could say that's going to make up a good, a healthy, a, a unified church. If, if we're going to be the kind of church that, that is described in the scriptures, then these ingredients need to be true for us. 
frankly, frankly, friends, I want to be the kind of church that God wants us to be. The, the kind of church where people could show up and they could say, this is a different place. This is a place where I'm safe. This is a place where I can actually share things I struggle with. This is a place where I hear about hope in Jesus Christ. The, the kind of church where broken and hurting people find love, community, encouragement. So anybody who is dreaming about a place where you could show up and go, oh good, y'all are just like me, really messed up, but we have a good Jesus who's making us more like him. Let's be that kind of church. To be that church, we got to see what the recipe is. Now, I know Paul doesn't have a recipe card in the text, and there's not a mention of a cookie. Uh, nevertheless, that's the way we're going to approach it today. Four ingredients, then, for a healthy church. I want to show you from the scriptures those four ingredients. If you're taking notes, here's the first one. Total surrender. Total surrender. If you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, open them up. Romans 12, verse 1. Just walk through the text, and I want to show you these ingredients. Here's ingredient number one, total surrender. Let me read verse 1. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, brothers and sisters, Paul's saying in the church at Rome, by the mercies of God, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Now, no, we're, we're one verse in, but you've got to remember the context of where Paul has brought us in the first part of Romans. Romans, the letter, has three parts. In the very first part, it's chapter 1 to 8, and this is where Paul outlines the entire gospel doctrine, the crucial elements of the gospel, which include all of us will stand before God one day in judgment. Recent stats say 10 out of 10 people die, so that's what you all have coming in front of you. And we will face judgment after death. And Paul describes in the first part of Romans, chapter 1 to 8, we will stand before judgment in God and we are unrighteous. So in case you walked in here and thought, I'm actually pretty good, bro. I, kinda, I can make good cookies and, and, and life's going okay for me. Paul's telling you, and the Bible teaches before God, you are not righteous. But there is a righteousness that is available, not by your hard work or effort, not because you follow rules, but because of Jesus and what Jesus has done. And this has been mercifully offered to you. Now, there's this mercy then that we see in chapters 1 to 8. And then, then Paul takes a detour for uh, in the part two of the letter to Romans, chapters 9 to 11, and he says, and this mercy is available to Gentiles, those who are not ethnically Jewish, and it's still available to Jews, even though in those days not many Jews had been believing in Jesus. Paul takes his time to explain the mercies of God and the promises of God will be fulfilled in Gentiles and Jews. And so then he takes all of this gospel doctrine and now he's pivoting and leveraging that doctrine to push in to gospel behavior. See, Paul actually thinks that there are things that we believe to be true and you would know they're true in the way you're living. So for anybody who thinks, yeah, 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 I kind of go to Sunday and I do my church thing, I check it off the box and I hear some stuff, but it doesn't really change the way I live, Paul would go, time out, that's not what I want. I want gospel doctrine to change and help you then be behaving in gospel ways. Gospel doctrine leads to gospel behavior. That's fruit of being a Christian. And what he's saying then here is the fruit of all this gospel doctrine 
because of God's mercy, mercy to save, mercy to Gentiles, mercy to Jews, you would be mindful that by the mercies of God, you would offer your body as a living sacrifice. A living sacrifice. Now, unless you've got some really weird neighbors who are going to sacrifice a lamb on Halloween, my guess is you don't have any idea what this is like, and neither do I. If somebody decides to sacrifice some animal in your neighborhood, do call the cops. That's weird and out of bounds for our culture. But in their culture, it wasn't weird to sacrifice an animal. In fact, here's the way one commentator puts it that helps get our mind around what sacrifice involves. First century people had stood by their altar and watched as an animal was identified as their own. And as it was slain in the ritual manner, its blood manipulated and the whole or part of that sacrifice burned on the altar and ascended in the flames to the deity they worshipped to suggest that they themselves should be the sacrifice was a striking piece of imagery. This is the idea then that Paul's explaining. Because of God's mercy, we as Christians are to be totally surrendered. And that's a pleasing sacrifice to God. Paul, Paul continues, verse 2. Don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and Perfect. What, what Paul wants the Roman Christians to realize is that their minds are constantly being conformed to the world. Like if you're not careful, the world and our culture, man, it is pummeling you with messages that are antithetical to the text. Last I checked, nobody in our popular culture, nobody singing songs on pop radio or making movies about all these superheroes, nobody stands up and says to, the, to the, those listening to the message, y'all are sinners and destined for hell and there's nothing you can do about it. Like if Jojo Siwa or something releases that song, would you please forward the YouTube link to me so I can listen to that message because nobody's singing that in the pop culture. Now, pop culture is, is trying to train your mind in a different direction. And what Paul's describing is, no, 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 Roman Christians, you have to sacrifice your body and your mind needs to be transformed, not through the world, but through God's word. And you need to discern his will. As Christians, we are to discern God's will, which is to say, we are to think well, think hard. If, if you've ever had the idea that being a part of a church worship service means you walk in these doors and you just check your brain at the door and you just kind of go on cruise control and I mean if the pastor says that I believe it that's not the way Paul's thinking at all Paul wants us thoughtfully engaging evaluating is the pastor saying what the text says to the degree amen if not run quickly away from that church I'm going to be people who follow the text and discern God's will discern God's will by thinking well and this is challenging because, frankly, what a lot of us want are just the rules. Hey, pastor, can you just tell me the rules? Like, what does God want? Is this okay or is this not okay? Can I read that author? Can I not read that author? Can we watch rated R movies? Can we not watch rated R movies? Can you just tell me the, the rules, pastor? 
What Paul's saying, he's not giving us a bunch of do's or don'ts. He's saying, if you're a Christian, you've got the Spirit, and, and you need to let the Spirit discern for you what is good, pleasing, perfect. You need the Spirit to transform your mind. Here then, the first crucial ingredient for Christians and churches. We are to be totally committed to Christ. This is the recipe Paul's calling for in the text. People who would say, I believe the gospel and I am totally surrendered to you, Jesus. He's not calling for a pinch of you or a dash of you. He wants all of you. Question for application then. Are you totally surrendered to Jesus? Are you totally surrendered to Jesus? If, if you're a member of this church, um, or if you've been baptized at this church, we do membership interviews and baptism interviews, and, and they're basically the same thing. One of the leaders of the church sits down with you and asks some questions. And, and I love these interviews. It's like one of my favorite meetings to have on any given week because we get to ask questions like, when did you find out that you were a sinner who stood under the righteous judgment of God? And, and, and what do you deserve? And one of my favorite questions then when it comes to this idea of total surrender is to say, is, is there anything right now that is off limits from Jesus in your life? That's what I'm asking you right now in this sermon. When it's just you and Jesus, nobody looking and you're just totally honest with him. Is there anything in your life that you would go, that's off limits, Jesus. You can't have that. If not, amen. But if there is, why? Christians, by definition, are totally surrendered. And this is the kind of people that, that God starts his recipe with. Christians who say, I will obey whatever. I'm in. I'm all in. You can have all of me. You can do whatever you want with my life. You can do whatever you want with my family. You can do whatever you want with my work. You can do whatever you want with my neighborhood. You can do whatever you want with my vacations. You can, you can just do whatever you want with my kids. You can have all of my money. I'm all in. Are you all in? Okay, that's the first ingredient in the recipe. Look at the second. Second ingredient, proper humility. From the text, verse 3. For, for by the grace given to me, Paul says, said everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. Now, this second ingredient, it, it, it should be pretty familiar. If, if you've ever read anything about church history, lots of really smart people have said for hundreds of years, thousands of years, that, that the sin underneath all the other sins is pride. That if you took all the sin in this church and with a preacher, be a lot of sin, you put it in a big pot, you boiled it all down, at the very root of it all, it's the same thing that tripped up Adam and Eve in the garden. It's the same thing, allegedly, that, that Lucifer is guilty of, and it's pride, thinking, I know better than you, so I'm going to decide what I'm going to do. Augustine thought of it back in 300 A.D., Paul's not saying it that strongly, but just expressing that many over the course of church history have agreed pride is a terrible problem, and that's what Paul's addressing here. Pride, don't think of yourself too highly than you ought. 
when I think the stereotypical prideful person then is the, is, is, well, it's, I call him that guy. And he's like, don't be that guy. I, I always imagine that guy is in the gym and he's six foot four, 180 pounds and cut. And he just, he knows it and he walks around. What's up, bro? And, and if you just give him five minutes, he could tell you how awesome he is and all the wonderful things he's accomplished in his life and how mom and dad must have told him from being a wee infant that you really are wonderful and people should just get out of your way because you're the most important person. You can accomplish whatever you want. And, 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 and that's the stereotypical guy that, of course, it can be a guy or a girl. And if you work out in the gym, God bless you. I'm not trying to down you on that. I'm just jealous of you. But, but <laughs> that guy is just so big on himself and he just can't wait to tell you how awesome he is and why you should be so impressed with him. And Paul's saying, man, don't be that guy. So there are these external ways that you are not to be prideful. And I think Paul's getting to that. And my guess is that's actually quite um, common because even, like, even healthy pagans don't like that guy. Like, none of us really tend to like the externally arrogant person and to that person if you're struggling with that problem he's saying don't think more highly of yourself than you ought but there's a flip side to being that guy that I think is much more common in the church and that is being guilty of inward pride and that can reveal itself through what the Bible calls false humility and false humility is when you think so low of yourself you just think I'm I'm so awful, I don't think God would ever use a person like me. Oh, yeah, yeah, sure. Those people that are getting baptized, like, like God's mercy is good for them. And I know God loves them. And maybe some of my friends, God can love them, but not me. I'm, like, so broken. I'm so messed up. He probably can't use me. And what, what Paul's saying in the text is, no, 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 no. You need to think with sober judgment. Sober judgment. And, and friend, what is sobriety the opposite of? If you're not sober, you're drunk and 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 so it's like paul would be saying like don't be drunk in the way you think don't think too highly of yourself but don't think too lowly of yourself either you need to be honest about who you are in view of the faith that god has assigned you you see that that last part is so important according to the measure of faith that god has assigned you meaning god has saved you and i and we both have the same thing we both have the same faith in Jesus. So, so if you're there and you're that guy who's thinking, man, I'm just so awesome because look at all the ways that God has blessed me and I'm just serving him so well and rah, 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 rah. Well, you've got the same faith as the person who's over here thinking so lowly of themselves. And in both ways, it's pride. I love the way Pastor Tim Keller puts this in his commentary. In other words, Paul is saying, all of you have been given your saving faith in Christ crucified. And that is how you are to measure yourselves. That means we need to realize we are all the same, regardless of our background, abilities, etc. We are all saved in Christ. God loves us equally in Christ. Here, here's Paul's point. We're to be totally surrendered, and, and here in verse 3, we are to embrace proper humility. Question for application. Do you need to repent of pride? Do you need to repent of pride? Whether you're prone to thinking more highly of yourself or tempted to think too lowly of yourself. Man, repent of pride. God, I'm sorry. 
don't be that guy. And, and, it, and if you're in here and you're like, oh man, I'm, a, I'm sort of afraid that I'm probably that guy, but you don't know, just ask your spouse or ask your family. Say, please tell me the truth. Am I that guy? And if you're like, well, I ain't doing that. That sounds awful. Well, then you're probably that guy. Because <laughs> you're so prideful, you can't even ask. Repent of that if you're that guy. If you're, if you're thinking too low of yourself, which I, uh, frankly, I'm guilty of both of these. If you're, if you're guilty of thinking too low of yourself, understand how the gospel addresses this. See, if you're thinking to yourself, I know, I know the cross is powerful enough to save that person. And I guess the cross is powerful enough to save the pastor. And I guess the cross is powerful enough to save some of my friends. But, but what Jesus did on the cross, that's not enough. So I'm just going to rehearse my sins over and over. I'm just going to bathe in all of this pity and all of this, I'm an awful person. And I'm just going to live in a land where I do functional penance because I'm just so bad. Why would God use a person like me? I'm so broken. Why would God use a person like me? I'm too messed up to be used by God. Man, that's pride. And let the gospel eradicate that pride by understanding, man, the cross is powerful. I don't care what you've done. Your sin's not more powerful than the cross. And, and if your heart or your mind is telling you, you're so bad, you're so bad, man, that ain't the spirit talking to you. That's the enemy. Ignore those lies and believe the truth. The cross has the final word. The cross has the final word. Let's, let's repent of pride. If you're here and you've repented of pride, amen. And if not, why not? Why not? We've seen two ingredients in the text. Two more to go. Number three, interdependence. Number three, interdependence. I was asking one of my kids, hey, do you know what interdependence means? And, and, and she said, well, I know what dependence means. Dependence means I need you. And then she said, and I know what independence means. It means I don't need you. So I guess if that's what those words mean, then interdependence means I need you and you need me. That's exactly it. Boom. She gets her brains from her mama. That's fantastic. <laughs> interdependence. That's what our text is saying. Let me show you from the text. For, for as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same functions. So we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. If you've been a Christian for a little bit and you've read other books in the Bible like Ephesians or 1 Corinthians, you've seen this metaphor before, that we are one body. Paul likes this metaphor because it captures a, a very thick reality that he's wanting to make sure the Roman Christians understand. Here's what it is, that like a body is composed of different parts and it is very diverse... They all work together in unity. And so it is in a church. Like, if you look around, there's lots of people who bring a lot of different gifts to the table. We're not a body that's composed only of toes. If, if, you're, if you're toe man, like all you have is toes all over you, nobody's that guy. You got different issues. None of us spiritually are all identical 
toes, so to speak. No, we're all different parts of the same body. And so that's the picture Paul's wanting to communicate. We're all working together, but we're all very diverse, and we've been gifted with different functions, different gifts from the Lord, and we are interdependent on one another. So, so that if, if you're here and you're a hand, and you're like, well, I didn't want to be a hand. I wanted to be the eye. All I get to see everything, and all I get to do is drive the steering wheel, and I wanted to look at the cars. If that's you, well, man, we're not going to drive very well if, if you're an eye as well, and you're trying to see who's going to drive if we have no hands is, is a modern-day connection. So we need each other. That's what Paul's getting at here. You're gifted uniquely, and we need you. You need us. We need you. All of us need each other. It's the idea of interdependence. The question for application, then. Does interdependence define your relationship with this church? Does interdependence define your relationship with this church? Last I checked, we have 330-some people who say Mill Creek is my home church. So if you're one of the 330-some who say, yeah, this is my home church, a question for you. Are you interdependent upon one another. Maybe you've heard of the 80-20 rule. 20% of the people do 80% of the work. We nerded out on stats not so long ago, and we found out actually 63% of Mill Creekers are serving somewhere in the church. Well, we're blowing that. We tripled the national average. That's great. 80-20 rule isn't working around here. Congratulations, Mill Creek. We have the 163 rule. 100% of the work being done by 63% of the people which is actually thrilling compared to national average, but Paul's heart for the Roman church is 100% of the people would do 100% of the work. And since that's his heart for them then, it's our heart for us now. We want all of you who call Mill Creek home to be interdependent on one another. And if, and if you're not, if you're here, yeah, Mill Creek's my home, but man, I'm not gonna be, I'm not gonna be interdependent on you. That's like putting some brown sugar and butter in the oven and calling it a cookie. It ain't going to taste very good. We need you to be the recipe God has asked for. And if you're unwilling, then we lack the crucial ingredients to be as delightful as God would intend. But, but look, I'm not trying to guilt or shame, shame you into serving. Fine, I'll tell children's ministry I'll rock babies next week. You emailed me 14 times in the last semester. I'll do something. Fine. That's not our heart. A heart is actually to identify ways that you've been gifted, things that you actually naturally love, and then plug you in to those things so that God would be glorified, you'd enjoy what you're doing, the church would be a beautiful, wonderful church that fulfills God's recipe. But how does that even work? It brings us to our final ingredient, using God's gifts. Using God's gifts from the text, move with me to point four. Let me read the text. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. All right, what Paul's doing here then is just going, hey, this idea of interdependence, it's actually true in the way that God has given you. They're, they're called grace gifts, and God has given anybody in here who believes in Jesus, he has given you grace gifts. He's given you some grace gifts, and then Paul gives us some examples 
of what these grace gifts are. And, and I think he's giving us these examples so then we would know concretely what it looks like. And, and chances are, as you think about this, you may realize, yeah, I do have some grace gifts. And you're using them in lots of different contexts, which you should know that's okay. However God has gifted you, use those in all the contexts. Use them in your neighborhood and at, and at work and when you coach. Like, use those grace gifts. Simultaneously, if you're using all those grace gifts except in the church, well, that's weird. Like, if God's given you grace gifts, then at a minimum you should, don't have to use them only in the church, but you should use them at least in the church. But uh, quickly, let's walk through these grace gifts so you can, especially if you're new to Christianity, you may have an idea of what we're talking about. That first one is prophecy, which is, if you didn't know, sometimes debated around churches like us. Some people would say prophecy is what you're doing right now, Pastor Jeremy. Preaching is prophecy, and if that's what you want to believe, that's totally fine. I have no problem with that. Others think it's something a little different, that, like it's an anointed utterance. Like, like a person who has the gift of prophecy is going to say something out of their mouth that has been anointed by the Spirit. And if that's what you think prophecy is, that's fine too. Though I would add that the guardrail for an anointed utterance is that it's aligned with the Word of God. Meaning, if you come up to me and you have, I have a word from the Lord, Pastor, I'm going to prophesy over you. And then you spit something that's anti-Bible, you're a false prophet. And they kill you for that in the Old Testament, so heads up. You want to play that game? So, so there's some more guardrails with anointed utterances, in my view. But if that's your view, I'm fine with it. Maybe you just think preaching is prophecy, so be it. Number two, easier to understand, service. These are servants who just help in very tangible ways. Administrate details, set things up. Make sure they're working, like study hall ministry. So many of you are gifted with service. This church would not exist without folks who serve. Number three is teaching, and the gift of teaching can be seen in lots of different contexts. Certainly, preaching is one way that you can teach, but this isn't the only way you can teach. Right now, we have folks back in children's ministry, and they're teaching. We had a first-hour baptism class where there was teaching. Later today, there's going to be some life groups, small groups of people that are getting together, and there's often somebody that's teaching. On Wednesday nights, we have teaching with student ministry and Sunday nights with young adult ministry, meaning if you have the gift of teaching, don't be frightened that we're going to have to put you up in the pulpit just because you have this gift, um, but we do want to utilize you. So if you have this gift, we have so many places for you to be able to teach. We need this gift. Number four is encouragement. Folks like Barnabas in the book of Acts who are encouragers, who are breathing life. Man, if, if you're here and you have the gift of encouragement, I'd just like to give you my cell phone number. You text me any day of the week. Whenever you feel like it, you want to use that gift. For all of us, like Lord knows in this time, in this cultural context, man, we could use encouragement, right? If you have the gift of encouragement, use that gift. The church is so grateful when you breathe fresh life and Share this gift. Number five, giving. All of us are called to give. If you didn't know that, you're new to Christianity, you didn't know that God all, owns all your money. This isn't a money sermon, but surprise. <laughs> he owns all your money. So actually, none of your bank account, none of my bank account's mine. We're stewards. And we're all called to give. So if you're here and you've never given a penny and you call Mill Creek your home, um, there's some scriptures that we'll be preaching through someday that are telling you, hey, you want to be able to give. But the gift of generosity isn't just folks who regularly give. It's those who are like 
gifted by the Spirit who go, man, I want to give above and beyond, and I just want to be able to be so generous. And I heard one pastor, the way he described it was the reverse tithe, where, where most Christians for time have thought, like, I should give 10% of my gross income. That's kind of common Christian thought is you give 10% of, I made 100 bucks, I'm going to give $10 in the offering. This guy suggested the reverse tithe, which is I'm going to figure out how to live on 10% and I'm going to give 90%. That person who thinks like that has the gift of generosity. And Pastor Marty told me that he thinks this is the greatest spiritual gift Mill Creek has. And, and he might be right. I mean, y'all are so generous. We just were able to take our 300,000 mile used car that we, of, of a sound system that was being held together with duct tape and bailing wire, and we were able to replace it with one that where actually you can hear the guitar and the piano, so thanks to guitar and piano players for the last five years, we can finally hear you, sorry about that, we're real grateful now. Because of your generosity, we were able to do study hall. We were able to provide a place for like 80 or 100 kids who had no place for school during the beginning of COVID because people were so generous. And, and we charged them zero because y'all paid for it. And on and on, I'm so grateful. If it wasn't for you, Mill Creek, who is so generous, we would be in the red. We wouldn't have jobs. Thank you for those gifted here. Thanks for being so generous. Uh, six is leadership. Again, a familiar term. It's a person who goes... I can see a need, and then I can rally people to accomplish that need. There's the mountain we need to climb, and I can allocate resources and energy and time, and I can help us climb that mountain. We're desperate for anybody who has this gift of leadership. We'd love to use that gift. And finally, mercy. It's those particularly moved and passionate to work with the hurting and the vulnerable. Folks who say, man, that tugs on my heartstrings, and I want to do something about it. I'm going to do something about it. I just had a friend the other day saying, kids are in slavery in our world today. Are you kidding me? we got to do something about that. Man, man, if you're gifted with this merciful gift, we want to get better at Mill Creek for, for caring for all these different types of people that are in our community and hurting, widows and widowers, uh, orphans, kids in foster care, kids who need to be a adopted, uh, immigrants, got people from Afghanistan who are moving to the city and, and we want to be able to mobilize folks to, to help them and international students and, and, and the poor and, and, and those beautiful families that are caring for kids with, with special needs who could use a date night every now and then or those who are fostering in our, in our church who just need a little help and they just, they ran out of mattresses and does anybody have a few extra clothes for a six-year-old that they're going to place in my home tonight? We just, if, if you've got the gift of mercy and, or, or if you're gifted in administration or, or, or serving or, or you just care, man, we'd love to implement you and, and, and try to be the kind of church that God wants us to be. And look, if, if, if I listed those seven and you're like, no, 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 I don't have any of those gifts, well, we'll know that this list isn't exhaustive. It's not intended to be exhaustive. I mean, we'd love to help you find how you're gifted by God. Here's the, here's the question for the application. Are you using your God-given gifts in this church? Are you using your God-given gifts in this church? Now, baked into that question is that you even know what your gifts are. So if you're here and you're like, bro, I got no idea what my gifts are, we printed off a bunch of copies of a gifts assessment, and it's out there on the Welcome Center. Pick them up. If we run out, we'll print more, right? Just tell me, and I'll print you a couple more. Pick them up. It's like a personality test, except this one's biblical. 
If you don't know what your gifts are, pick that thing up. Take you five minutes, and it's going to give you one of the, by my count, 17 gifts that are listed in the New Testament. See which ones you're gifted at. Oh, and by the way, like, I love this stuff. I love this stuff. I don't know what that gift is, the person who's nerding out on how you're gifted and wants to get you plugged in. Whatever that gift is, I have it, and I love it. So if you're wanting some help, I'm inviting you. I can't make you reach out to me, but I'd love to go. Let me see your inventory, and let's talk about what you love and how you could get plugged in. I'd love to help you do that. Our staff would love to help you do that. We want you using your God-given gifts in this church. But, but if you're there and you're like, Pastor, you don't need my gifts. You don't need me. I've looked around. Y'all are doing fine. I'm sorry we've communicated the wrong message to you. We're desperate for you. We, we want 100% of Mill Creekers doing 100% of the work. We'd love to figure out ways to, to get you plugged in. But, or if you're here and you're like, oh, that sounds great, but bro, I don't have time. I don't have time for any of that. Well, if you're in a season of life where you don't have time, grace on you, totally. Last thing I would want you to do if you're in a season of life that's so difficult is that you would say yes to something and not really have your heart in it and you're just doing it out of guilt and shame and, and you're not happy and we're not happy and we're all struggling and say no, that's totally fine. We don't want you to burn out. But if what you're saying is, this is a bad time, but as it turns out, as you look back on the last 20 years, it's always a bad time. Well, then that's not a schedule problem. That's just a priority problem. And, and, and like we said earlier, God gave you these gifts and use them anywhere you want, but at a minimum, you should use them in the church, right? But look, at the, at the end of the day, the, the only way we can be the recipe that God has designed, the only hope that we have is that, is that Jesus would mercifully use us because, because let me make sure we reiterate this it's not that we become the perfect ingredient and then if, if we can try really hard and we pull our bootstraps up and we, we really do some self-improvement that God finally looks at us and goes oh finally I've got some butter I can use for my cookies about time Jeremy you got your act together been waiting your whole life finally you became the fine I'll use you in my recipe that's not how it works no the only way that we can be humble and interdependent and, and use God's gifts, it comes back to where we started if we're going to be the kind of people who are totally sold out, who, who say, you know what, Jesus, I want to be part of what you're accomplishing. I want your kingdom to come, and I want to see your kingdom grow, and you can use me and, and anything you've given me in any way you want from me. And it's that total surrender then that is crucial to the church being the recipe Paul's describing because despite all of our best efforts, mine included, none of us can perfectly accomplish these essential ingredients. Turns out none of us are able to come here and said, I finally did it. No, we didn't do it, but Jesus did. He is the one who was totally sold out. He is the one who was perfectly humble. Man, he didn't have to be interdependent, but he allowed himself to interdepend upon the Father and the Spirit. And it was him who used his God-given gifts to bring us our salvation. So thanks be to Jesus for his mercy. Thank you, Jesus, for your mercy that you even use gnarly and nasty, stale ingredients like you and I. Amen? Friends, let's trust in Christ to be the kind of ingredients he wants us to be so we would be the church that God wants us to be. That's my heart. I hope that's your heart. Let us be the church God wants us to be. If you're here and you don't know Jesus, today's the day. Repent of your sins. 
Trust in him. Find his mercy. If you're here and you do believe in Jesus, allow his word to transform your mind, make you more like Christ. Amen, friends. Let's pray. Spirit, I'm grateful for your word, and I'm grateful for the opportunity to preach, and I pray, Spirit, you would take your text, you would drill it down into our hearts, you would transform our minds, and we would be those who are completely sold out. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you like what you've heard or want to find out more information, please visit our website at mymillcreek.com.